At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Good morning. Uh, my name is Kirk McDonald, uh, and I have the great honor of serving with a team of pastors here at Gospel Community Church. And this morning, it is my great privilege to bring to you God's perfect and precious word. May he add his blessing to it. Uh, as you know, we've been traveling through uh, the book of Philippians. Uh, we've been discovering all sorts of amazing truths about God and, and who he is. Uh, and so this morning, we're going to be back in Philippians in chapter three. But first, before we get there, we're going to journey over to uh, the gospel of Mark and look at uh, chapter 10 and remind ourselves of the story of the rich young ruler. Mark chapter 10, I'm starting in verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. This young man, this rich young ruler approaches Jesus and asks this very interesting question. His question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You see that that question, the question that he's asking there assumes several things. First, it assumes that there is such thing as eternal life, that there is a place where we are with God, where there is no more sin, no more shame, no more pain, no more crying, where God rules over all things everywhere. That question assumes that and that it's right to do that. In addition, not only does it assume that eternal life is real, it assumes that there is an obstacle between us and eternal life. There is an obstacle between us and God because he's asking, what must I do? And again, he's absolutely right because sin is the obstacle between us and God. You see, God is a holy God and we are a sinful and fallen people. And so he understands that something must be done. He also assumes that there is actually a solution. So he, he's assuming all of that by simply asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus' response is astonishing. Listen to this. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. He's essentially asking this rich young ruler, do you think that I'm God? We know that several times throughout all of the gospels, Jesus affirms again and again and again that he is fully God. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, loved him loved him. Jesus loved him. And so he's going to answer this way. This is the most loving response that Jesus can give him. And Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Disheartened by this saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possession. And Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. 
And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Do you, do you see their, their response? They believe that someone who has obeyed all the rules, someone who, who from their youth has obeyed all the rules. In addition, they're obviously blessed because this rich young ruler is rich and powerful. He's blessed by God. He's obeyed God. He's done all the right things. They're astonished and they don't understand if this guy doesn't get in, if he doesn't make the cut, then who in the world does make the cut? And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is possible, but not with God for all things are possible with God. What this rich young ruler was putting his hope in, here's how he was answering the question, what must I do to, to uh, attain eternal life? His answer was obey. His answer was please God with works. Um, his answer was achieve um, all of these religious accomplishments. Therefore, God will love me. Therefore, God will accept me. Therefore, God will love me. And I will be able to be at peace and rhythm and shalom with God. But that's not Jesus's answer at all. Jesus answers him in a very astonishing way. He tells this rich young ruler to go sell everything that he has and follow him. Now, why would he do that? because he is instructing this rich young ruler to make him his greatest treasure. He's telling this rich young man, your treasure, the things that you think are going to make you right before God, that's not true at all. You must make Jesus your greatest treasure in order to be acceptable before God because of everything that Jesus has done. You see, this rich young ruler thought that eternal life meant that everything that he was going to do for God would attain him or get him eternal life when the, the reality is it's all about what God has already done for us in Christ. Uh, and so what Jesus was telling him is that it was impossible for him to do anything to gain eternal life, meaning it was impossible for him to do anything to gain God's love, acceptance, and mercy. What had to happen is Jesus himself had to do the work of doing that, which is the gospel. And if you don't know the gospel, here is the gospel. You see, Jesus knew that we were going to be sinners by nature and choice. And so what could have happened is God could have turned his back on us because he has creator rights over his creation. This is his universe. He has the right to place demands on us. And we all have ignored those demands. We, we all have tried to go our own way and do our own thing. And instead of just turning his back on us, God, the father in the most loving expression in all of the universe, he sends his son empowered by the Holy Spirit to live the life that we could not live, to die the death that we should have died in our place for our sins. So that on the cross, when Jesus dies. He takes on to, to, to himself our sin. He gives to us his righteousness and we are declared justified by God. Amen. That's the gospel. Now, not only does he save us, but he keeps us to the end so that the day of his return, we might rule and reign with him forever, having and attaining that eternal life. And it is all a work of God. It is by grace through faith. This is not any work that we do to gain God's love and acceptance. It's, it's all of God. And so that's the gospel church family. That's the good news that the Bible puts on display for us. And so why are we, why are we going over this again? You've heard this before. You, you've, you've heard me rehearse the gospel for you because we love the gospel. And in our text today, where we're going to head in Philippians, there's somebody in the church that's coming in to attack the one true gospel 
gospel. And that's right, you, you heard me, church family. There is one true gospel that Jesus Christ alone is the one who saves. That, that's it. You see, the, the, the message of Christianity is, is very, very exclusive, meaning that Jesus is the only one who saves. It is by his death, by his resurrection, that's the only way that we can have right standing before God. But you see, church family, the gospel is also incredibly inclusive, meaning it doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter how young you are, doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter your race, doesn't matter your gender. Anyone who places their faith on Jesus Christ will be saved. That's the one true gospel. And so what's happening in the church of Philippi is people were coming in to distort the one true gospel uh, and so what, what the Apostle Paul does is he is going to engage in some righteous name calling. Uh, now, I've never done that before. Um, all of my name calling has been unrighteous, uh, much like yours, I'm sure. But he, he engages in some righteous uh, name calling. He, he calls these guys dogs and evildoers. Uh, and it's because they are distorting the one true gospel. Then, then he stacks up all of his religious achievements and then says, they're not worth anything. They're not worth anything. They, they didn't gain God's love and acceptance uh, and mercy over me. Uh, rather, he knows that you have to place your faith in Christ in order to be loved and accepted by God. So if you're a big idea person, you, you want the, the big idea of this particular text uh, that we're going to be looking at this morning. Here it is. Jesus is the only hope. Jesus is the only hope. Jesus is the only hope for eternal life. Jesus is the only hope for spiritual life. Jesus is our only hope for joy. Jesus is our only hope for peace. Jesus is our only hope for meaning. And so unlike the rich young ruler, we must look to Jesus as our true treasure, as our true hope, so that we might be found in him. So if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Philippians. We're going to be in chapter 3, beginning chapter 3. We're going to be diving in at the first verse. So go ahead uh, and get out your Bible or your device. And go ahead and get in the book of Philippians so that you can make sure I'm not making this up as I go. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 says this, Finally, now I want to pause right there because... Uh, Let's see, he goes on for another two chapters uh, after saying, finally. Um, so if uh, when, when preachers, you know, keep going on and on and on in the sermon, uh, you know that we're just being like Paul. It's biblical for us to continue to go on and on. But, but seriously, what this is, is can also mean therefore or and so. He says this, finally, my brothers rejoice in the Lord. Now, what's astonishing is that we have to know that this church is being persecuted. They're being hunted and killed for their faith. Uh, not only that, they're also very impoverished. We learned that from uh, 2 Corinthians, where we discovered that this church was giving to the mission of the Apostle Paul, yet they didn't have a lot of money. They were giving out of their poverty. So they're impoverished and persecuted. And Paul tells them to rejoice. Why? How can he tell them to rejoice? He can tell them to rejoice because their rejoicing is in the Lord. Did you see that? Look back at it. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. That's where their rejoicing is coming from. It's not coming from their circumstances. It's not coming from uh, their, their temporal happiness. It's coming from the fact that they are in the Lord. That, so earlier on in, in Philippians, the apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so if these Christians are killed for their faith, 
They get to be with Jesus. Uh, In addition, they have their true treasure, which is Jesus himself. And so what what can the government take away from these Christians? I mean, they, they can't. They have their true treasure, which is Christ. Therefore, they have a fountain of overwhelming joy that comes out of them. I wonder if that is your experience in the Christian life. If, if you are just happy to have Jesus, if Jesus is your true treasure, and, and, and if you can say, no matter my circumstances, I can rejoice because I have Jesus. He says, finally, rejoice in the Lord. To write these things to you is no trouble for me and is safe for you to write these things to you. What, what are these things? What things is he referring to? Well, he is about to unpack the beauty, the theological truth of justification by faith alone. Justification, that is right standing with God by faith alone. He's about to unpack that doctrine for them. That's the these things. So, so he says, To write these things to you is no trouble for me and is safe for you. This is shorthand for the gospel. Justification by faith alone or the gospel. He is about to say the gospel to them again. He's going to tell them the gospel again. They know the gospel. This This is Paul's favorite church. He loves these people there. He knows that they know the gospel, but he's gonna say it again. He's gonna rehearse it again. He is going to make sure that they know there is nothing they can do to gain God's acceptance, love, and mercy. They can't do anything. They already have it in Christ. And he's just going to keep repeating this over and over and over again. You see, church family, good preachers have one sermon. Good preachers have one sermon. That is the gospel. Now, really good preachers uh, are able to say the truth of that gospel in a lot of different ways, not veering away from the gospel, but saying the gospel again and again. That's what good pastors do. That's what good preachers do. And so what he's doing here is reminding them of this. If you're taking notes, the safety and security of the Christian soul is found in the repetition of the gospel. The safety and security of the Christian soul is found in the repetition of the gospel, of of you hearing the gospel, the good news, because if we're not constantly reminded that there's no way that we can gain God's love and acceptance, we're going to wake up every single day and try to figure out what we can do to gain God's acceptance when we already have it in Christ. So we need the repetition of the gospel day in, day out. We need to hear it in preaching. We need to say it to our spouse. We need to teach it to our children. We need to have other brothers and sisters in Christ speaking the gospel into us because that is where the safety of the Christian soul rests is in the repetition of the gospel. You see, when, when all of this began, when, when, our, when our world got turned upside down, um, as your pastor, I said, look, this could be an opportunity uh, for you to kind of step back from the life of the church and disengage. But as your pastor, we're asking you to lean into the life of the church. We're asking you to show up on Sunday mornings and watch the videos as we premiere them and and stay up to date on our Facebook page and Instagram and all that kind of stuff. Why? Because we're hoping that we can continue to remind you of the gospel. We want to keep reminding you. So keep leaning in, church family, so that you're reminded that there's nothing that you can do to gain God's love. It's already all been done in Christ. So... 
Never believe that you have heard the gospel enough. You haven't. And if you think you have, you're already in danger. If your heart said, oh, another sermon on the gospel, Kirk, really, pastor? I mean, we, you know, come on, let's get into deeper Bible truths. No, no, church family. The gospel is the deepest Bible truth. The gospel is the deepest Bible truth. Okay, we got to move. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write these same things to you is no trouble for me and is safe for you. Now, what he's about to do is he is about to call out um, these guys that are infiltrating the church and teaching a false gospel. Listen to the language that he used. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. And look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul here, uh, he's coming out swinging. Uh, he, He is verbally assaulting these men. Now, what I find so interesting about Paul is Earlier on, we found out that people were attacking him. As a matter of fact, just look at uh, chapter 1, verse 17. He says this, For the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. People were attacking him, yet he does not attack back. Yet, when you attack the gospel or preach a false gospel, the Apostle Paul gets rowdy, okay? He's going to come out swinging on that. So he says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, here's what's happening in the church at Philippi. He gets word that a group of people called Judaizers are in and around the church. Now, here's what a Judaizer is. It's someone who uh, proclaims to be a Christian, yet they tack on all of the religious um, rites, ceremonies, and laws. Um, Laws such as the dietary, the strict dietary laws uh, found in the Old Testament, things such as circumcision, uh, so on and so forth. You get the idea. So they were a Jesus plus Type of people. So if you want to be justified before God, yes, believe on Jesus, and you also have to do these type of things. And the Apostle Paul is not going to have any of that at all. Paul teaches that we are justified by faith alone. He, he, he lays this out so beautifully for us. If you get a chance this afternoon, maybe go read Romans chapter four to where he lays out so beautifully that, that, that Abraham is declared righteous by faith alone. Yes, he is later circumcised, but he is declared righteous before his circumcision. And so it doesn't matter. Uh, he, he is saying we are justified by faith alone. That's exactly what he is teaching. So, so he uses these three attacks. He calls them dogs, evildoers, and those who mutilate the flesh. Let's take each one of those in turn. He begins by calling them dogs. Now, don't think about your little fluffy friend at home. Uh, again, understand that this is first century Palestine. They, they didn't have house pets. When he calls them dogs, these are uh, packs of canines that would roam around. Uh, they were flea-bitten, mongrel-type dogs uh, that ate what, whatever they could find, usually dead things, which is against Jewish custom. And so th- this is a slander on them. These people who believed that they were righteous because of their dietary laws, the Apostle Paul says, no, you're a dog. 
In addition, he calls them evildoers. The guys who thought they were justified before God by following all the rules, he says, no, the reality is you guys are rule breakers. In addition, he calls them those who mutilate the flesh. They, they believed that um, circumcision was the sign of the covenant that showed that you were in God's family. But instead, he calls them those who mutilate the flesh like the pagans do, as pagans cut themselves for their gods. So he takes all three of the things that they believed made them righteous and turns them upside down on their heads and says, no, you're justified by faith alone. You're not justified by what you can do for God. He is saying, look out for people who try to add something to justification by faith alone. So, so again, me coming up in the church and, and, and having been doing this a long time, I've heard people add things to justification by faith alone. So, so it is belief on Jesus and speaking in tongues or belief on Jesus and uh, not drinking alcohol, uh, but believe on Jesus and read King James only. So, so all throughout church history, there have been many different groups of people, many different denominations that have sought to add something uh, to justification by faith alone. And the apostle Paul is, is digging his, his heels in and saying, no, it's justification by faith alone. One pastor said it this way, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We must never, ever seek to add anything to the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's impossible to add anything. The work is complete. The work is finished. And so we must never seek to add anything to the finished work of Jesus. Let me ask you this, this question, church family. What rules are you adding to yourself or others in order to gain God's love and acceptance? What rules are you adding to yourself or others in order to gain God's acceptance? Some common ones are these, church attendance, daily devotions, Bible reading, prayer time, serving on a ministry, giving tithes and offerings, sharing your faith, fasting, traveling to the Holy Land, uh, teaching your kids the Bible. And listen, none of those things add to God's love, acceptance, or mercy for you. They don't. All of God's love, all of God's mercy, all of God's acceptance comes because of the finished, completed work of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross and his victorious resurrection. That is why we are found in God. Yeah. So after he gets done with all of the righteous name calling, he says, that's what they're like. These people who are adding to the gospel, they are dogs. They are evildoers. They, they are the ones who mutilate the flesh. But, but we over here, true Christians, and then what he does is he lists four attributes of a true Christian. Did you see that in the text? Let's go back to the text. I want to show it to you. Look at verse three. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Those four things outline what a true Christian is like. Let's take those four things in turn. First, he says, we are the circumcision, meaning you don't have to be actually circumcised in order to be called or be a part of the family of God. It's those who have believed on Jesus. They're the family of God. They are the circumcision. Listen to how he says it in Romans 2. 
28 through 29, he says this, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. So we do not become a part of the family of God by any religious rite, any religious ceremony whatsoever. We become a part of the family of God by the saving power of the Holy Spirit who then comes to indwell us and we are declared a part of the family of God. So he says that we are, we are the circumcision. Secondly, those who worship by the spirit of God, meaning when we place our faith on Jesus Christ, we are then subsequently immediately filled with the Holy Spirit, which enables us to see the true beauty of Christ. Therefore, we worship Christ. Amen. If you remember uh, John uh, chapter four, Jesus is with the woman at the well and he tells her, there's coming a time and truly the time is here when we will worship in spirit and in truth. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. So firstly, we are the circumcision. Secondly, what are Christians like? We're the, we're the ones who worship by the spirit of God. Thirdly, and we glory in Christ. Why would we glory in Christ? Because of what he's done, because of his perfect life, because of his substitutionary death, because of his victorious resurrection. That's why we glory in Christ. That's what true Christians do. Do you love Jesus? If you love Jesus, then you're a Christian. Firstly, we are the circumcision. Second, who worship by the spirit of God. Third, and glory in Christ. Fourthly, and, and maybe most importantly of all, and put no confidence in the flesh. We don't believe we have anything that would merit God's love. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling. We don't have anything to offer God in exchange for his love. The only way God pours out his love, his acceptance on us is because of the finished work of Christ. So if you're taking notes, justification is by faith alone and justification is right standing with God, which comes by a decree from God, which he states our sins are forgiven and Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. That is justification. Now we can do nothing to earn it. We can do nothing to merit it. It is simply a gift from him. So church family, if you're taking notes, jot this down. Beware of any spiritual leader who emphasizes a moral code, a way of life, or a set of rules over the love, grace, and mercy of God. Okay. Now I, I want to slow down here and, and be as clear as I possibly can be. Let me read that again. Beware of any spiritual leader who emphasizes a moral code, a way of life, or a set of rules over the love, grace, and mercy of God. To be clear, for Christians, is there a moral code? Yes. To be clear, are there rules that we should follow? Yes. Is there a certain type of lifestyle that we should live as Christians? Yes, there is. But it's dangerous when you emphasize that over the love, grace, and mercy of God because we get tempted to believe that by following the moral code, by following the list of rules, that God then loves us because of what we have done, and that is anti to the gospel. Yeah. And that's why Paul is being so forceful here 
in this text. Now, what he's going to do next is draw a big line in the sand and say to these Judaizers, oh, you, you think you've stacked up some religious achievements? Okay, well, you, you want to you go? All right, let's, let's do this. And so he is going to then list out his, his spectacular resume. Okay, this is, um, he, he is thinking back to what he was like when he was Saul of Tarsus before God transformed his life. And so he is going to list the religious accomplishments uh, that, that Saul of Tarsus stacked up. And, and he, he, here's the idea that he's getting at. If anybody can be religious enough for God to love them, I was religious enough. Okay, that, that's, what, that's the idea that he's getting at. Look at verse four in our text today. He says this, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Just listen to this sevenfold stacking up of religious accomplishments. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I mean, this, this, uh, this list of achievements is uh, uh, just unparalleled. It's unparalleled. Look at the first one. Circumcised on the eighth day. Again, in accordance with their Jewish custom. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. Uh, here's what he's getting at. He's an insider. He's, he's not new to the Jewish faith. He, he's not an outsider looking in, trying to, trying to you know, fit in with everyone. No, no. He's an insider insider, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. Not only that, of the tribe of Benjamin tribe of Benjamin, meaning after the dispersion, so the great dispersion, they all come back to Jerusalem and they begin to build the temple and, and, and they're able to worship God there. And the two tribes that were at the very center of the worship of God was the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. Not only that, his namesake, he is Saul, as in King Saul, from the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, again, th this guy, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. It, he, he was able to not only speak Aramaic, but he was also able to speak Hebrew. He read the Old Testament in Hebrew. Uh, he, he likely prayed in Hebrew. He is a Hebrew of Hebrew. Listen to this next one. As to the law of Pharisee, he was a part of the most religious elite group of the day. They had not only all the Old Testament laws, but they had an additional six. 113 laws that they obeyed to make sure they would never disobey all the laws set out in the Old Testament. You know how much dedication that would take not only to memorize all of them, but to know them and actually follow them. This, this guy was so zealous, he calls himself a persecutor of the church. We know that the first time we see the apostle Paul, they are stacking up cloaks, their jackets at his feet, and he is there to witness the death of Stephen when they stoned him to death for his faith, and Paul looked on approvingly of it. We know that he had papers in his hands to go and kill, jail, whatever, Christians. He was on the way to do that when God changed his life forever. So he was a persecutor of the church church. And, the, and th this last one, he calls himself blameless. Now he doesn't say sinless, but he does say blameless, meaning he was renowned. People knew him for his devotion and dedication to the law. 
if anybody can, can work hard enough and follow all the rules and be an insider insider in order to earn God's acceptance, it's absolutely the Apostle Paul. So at this point, Paul has just beaten the Judaizers at their own game, and he has obliterated all of us pagan-born Gentiles who have offered way less to God in order to get him to love us. If religious obedience could save, Paul wins, but religious obedience cannot save only the blood of Jesus Christ. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we are saved. Now, just for fun, uh, here's what I've done. I've put together, uh, if you're like me, I was raised in the Southern Baptist uh, tradition. And so what I did is I looked at all of these religious accomplishments uh, from the Apostle Paul and, and thought maybe, uh, you know, a Southern Baptist, uh, you know, born and bred boy like me might try to stack up some of these uh, religious accomplishments. And so uh, here, here is what I wrote down. If, if I were uh, kind of mimicking this style, it, it would go something like this. And if you were raised uh, as a as a Baptist child like me, uh, just go ahead and put a thumbs up in the comment section down there. So, uh, born a red-blooded American, raised in the Bible Belt, saved under the preaching of Billy Graham. As to Awanas, I earned all of the badges. As to Southern Baptist Confession, I helped write it. As to Sunday School, perfect attendance. As to swear words, I would only substitute the Christian swear words. As to alcohol, never in front of other Baptists. And as to translations, King James only. Now, that is very silly, of course, but you can understand that not only things like that, but there are so many other things in our life that we try to focus on as our religious accomplishments, as our religious deeds, and, and we bring them into uh, the, the throne room of God, and we say, look, God, look at all of my religious achievements. I went to church. I tithed. I, I shared my faith. I did all of this. Don't, don't I now deserve your love and acceptance? And all of this is an affront to the gospel because it is true trying to add to the work that Jesus has already finished. So all of our all of our working is not so that God will love us, but it's because he already does. That's why we seek to kill our sin. That's why we try to walk in holiness because God already does love us. And so church family, we must never try to add to the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so there was the apostle Paul with all of his religious achievements, Saul of Tarsus, before he was converted, Saul of Tarsus, with all of his religious achievements, circumcised on the eighth day of the people, a tribe of Benjamin, so on and so forth, being one of the most religious people to ever walk the face of the planet. And he's going down the Damascus road with papers in his hand to find Christians, to jail them, to kill him. And all of a sudden there is a blinding light and Jesus is standing there in front of him, speaking to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And from that moment on, Paul realized that all of his religious achievements meant absolutely nothing. Jesus had found him. Jesus had changed his heart and changed his life for ever. So if you're taking notes, church family, Paul's religious accomplishments meant nothing. And certainly ours mean even less, which leaves us. Listen, we only have one hope in order to be saved. We have one hope in order to gain eternal life. We have one hope in order to be accepted, loved, and shown mercy to from God. And that one hope is Jesus Christ. The reason Jesus is the only hope is 
that he is not only the only one who could accomplish and did accomplish the work that needed to be done. That's why Jesus is our only hope, because he is the only one that could accomplish it. Jesus is the only God-man. He is the only one who could perfectly obey the Father. He's the only one that could do it. Not only is the only one that could do it, he's the one that actually did do it. He did perfectly obey the Father. He did go to the cross in our place for our sins. He did offer salvation. He is the one that, that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's the only one that could do it. That's why Jesus is our only Hope, I'll close with this, this uh, great hymn written in 1834 by Edward Mote. It says this, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust a sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. And every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood, his support me in my whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is my hope and my stay. When trumpet shall sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, that we would look to you as our only hope. Lord, that you would be truly our greatest treasure. Lord, forgive us as we try to stack up our religious achievements. Forgive us as we carry our religious accomplishments into the throne room of God and, and try to get you to love and accept us more because of the things that we have done. How silly, how foolish are we when we do that type of thing? Lord, let us never be a Jesus plus type of people. Let us be in Christ alone, in Christ alone, let us never try to add anything to your finished work because you have done it. You said on the cross, it is finished and it truly is. We are justified by faith alone. Let that truth resound in our heart and let us be a people that constantly reminds each other that we are loved by you, not based on our works, but based on the completed work of Jesus Christ. I pray all these things in the mighty and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.